This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. with me because we want to dive right in. A lot to cover this morning. Um, And the reason we stand when we read the Bible together is because uh, we believe this is His Word. And we want to posture ourselves in a position of listening, respect, honor, but also one in which we we acknowledge that God is is, is speaking to us. And so um, as we listen to this, uh, His Word, let's remember this is His Word. John chapter 7. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. When the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore Jesus told them, my time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I am not going to the festival. Because my time has not yet fully come. After this, after he had said this, he stayed in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now, I'm really excited about this series, Love Walked Among Us, and uh, for a lot of reasons. God has personally impacted my life as we've been studying in this. But I will say I'm a little nervous to preach today uh, because last week, Wayne blew the joint apart, right? I mean, we were... We were, uh, uh, there was, it, there, it was literally on fire up in here. Now, I did stand and scream in the middle of the service, and I want to apologize if I scared you. But I will say this. I often have people say, I wish I could have stood up and screamed. And I say, well, why didn't you? And then I was sitting there wanting to stand up and scream, and I'm like, why don't I, okay? So uh, who's stopping me? None of you all are, okay? Uh, Wayne, I am so honored to... Uh, to serve with you, bro. That was an incredible sermon last week. If you didn't hear it, uh, get online and, uh, and check it out. That was incredible. As I look at this text, though, and we zoom in on the person of Jesus, I want us to highlight a couple of things that are on the screen here. Um, and, and, and I want you to look at this, these two words here. And I'm going to circle them on the screen. You can look in your Bibles here. This word, he did not want... And then I want you to go to verse 4, and I want you to see as his brothers are speaking, they say, no one who wants, look at this want word. In one section, within three verses of each other, you see Jesus revealing his wants, and then you see his brothers assuming his wants. And when you look at a text like this, what comes to mind to me is that we often assume we know what Jesus wants because we know what we want. 
We often assume that we know what Jesus wants because we know what we want. Isn't it surprising to you that we put on Jesus our wants and call them his wants? Doesn't Jesus want me to be rich? Well, I don't know. I know you want to be rich. Doesn't Jesus want us to be comfortable? No, I don't know. He, I know you want to be comfortable. Doesn't Jesus want this? Jesus wants this. He, he wants this somewhere in his word, somewhere. He says he wants this. And we are often projecting our wants, assuming that Jesus wants the same thing. And as we approach a text like this, we have to pause for a moment and, and, and listen to uh, the realities of what we really do believe that Jesus wants. One of the things that we often assume, like this text, is that Jesus wants to be popular. Now there was an assumption from these disciples or these brothers what it says is no one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret nobody who wants to be popular does thing in secret now i will say this i often hear the church especially the church in america pronounce things they believe god wants doesn't God want everyone to know him? If God wants everyone to know him, then that means he wants to be popular. And if that's true, he wants to be popular, then we got to market him better. We need to post everything on social media. Doesn't God want everybody to know him? If that's true, we need a bigger church. We need more people. Bigger budgets, bigger stages, more lights, more smoke. We need all of it. Better graphics, Facebook ads, door hangers. We need to get it out there. Everybody needs to know about Jesus. And do you notice how we cloak our desire to be famous and sanctify it by saying Jesus wants it? You see, we want things. And, and I will tell you this. There's something deeply, uh, deeply true about a text like this, especially when you bring it into our culture, that it is, there's studies out there, there's articles. You can go, look, I can't read all of them, but I, I will tell you this. This week I was looking up all of these kind of studies and one major theme that you're seeing throughout all of this generational curve this social media society is that the job choices of this younger generation have gone from service oriented jobs to fame oriented jobs everybody wants to be famous it doesn't even matter if you have to do things foolish Everybody wants to be famous. And we have moved and assumed 
our cultural idol is Jesus' idol. We've assumed that if we want to be famous, Jesus must want to be famous. And so what ends up happening is, because we have wrong assumptions about Jesus' wants, we come up with wrong actions and wrong advice and wrong methods. And that method is, if you want to be famous, Jesus, uh, nobody does stuff in secret. Hmm. Now, they said, look, you want to be famous, you better not do secret stuff. Nobody hides this stuff in secret. You don't hide stuff. You got to get it out there in the public eye. You got to make sure everybody knows. Now, the interesting part about that no one does stuff in secret is it really contradicts much of Jesus' teaching. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by others. That's the key language. It's not that you don't do it in public. It's that you don't do it to be seen by the public. Because if you do, then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So then, if you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do to be honored by others. Now look at that. They want to be honored by others. And then he says, truly, I tell you, they've already received their full reward. What is their full reward? They got the honor of the public. They wanted the honor of the public. They got the honor of the public. They got their reward. But then you give to the needy. But when you give to the needy, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing so that when you're giving, it may be done in what? No one does something in secret. Then your father sees what is done in secret and he will reward you in the open. He'll reward you. You see, we have moved from making, from doing things in secret that be made known in public. We have moved from doing things in secret that get rewarded openly to trying to make ourselves known. Listen, if somebody gets pregnant, you can make sure, you can guarantee something. Unless you're Mary, right? Uh, uh, you can guarantee something. Stuff was happening in secret. Am I right? You're pregnant. I guarantee you, you were doing something in secret. You see, because the things that are done in secret will be made known and manifest in public. But the reality is we have moved from wanting to be rewarded by God to getting the honors of others. So what we do is try to get honor because we don't want his rewards. Everything they do, this is Matthew 23, everything they do, they want people to see. This is speaking of the Pharisees. He says, don't even let people call you rabbi or teacher because we're all brothers. It's not about your title. It's not about your position. We're, we're family here. 
He says, the greatest among you, if you want to go after the greatest, go after them. For those who try to exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Here's the other thing. It's not just about this reality of God doesn't exalt those who humble themselves. It's that we're trying to exalt ourselves and not letting God doing the exalting. And assuming that that's what Jesus wants. Now, I'm not recommending, and, and listen, I know you all think I... I don't do anything wrong ever, or maybe it's not wrong, but you all think I just listen to to hymns all day long, okay? So there's a guy I like. I might have gone to his concerts, not saying I did. I'm not sure. Possibly I was there. Yes, if you saw me, yes, I was, but I wasn't enjoying it, okay? (laughs) There's a guy by the name of John Bellion, and you may have heard him, maybe, maybe not. He does a song called Low, 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 Low. Never, you never mind. Never mind. Yeah, y'all. But he, he also just released a new album. And, and there's this one song on there called The Internet. And when he really, if you, I'm not re- recommending it because then you'll be like, oh, pastor, listen to that. I'm not saying, I'm just saying this song has some good message to it. I just read the words. I didn't listen to the song, but I know the, the words. The words are good. He said, it became dangerous the day we all became famous. No one cares if you're happy just as long as they think you are. No one cares, this is another line, no one cares if you actually listen to the sermon or practice the sermon just as long as they think you did. The reality is we are in a celebrity culture that has nothing to do with true, secret, authentic depth to their. It's a shallow world that we live in where it doesn't matter if we actually follow the word of God just as long as we take a selfie at church. And tag Redemption Alhambra on our Facebook page. I was there. I didn't listen. I didn't worship. I didn't even walk out with anything, but I was there. No one cares if you have a good marriage just as long as they think you do. It's amazing how many selfies of date nights where I know their marriage is about to fall apart and they're banking on that date night. If that, if that date night don't work, their marriage is done. Who cares if your marriage is actually, just as long as everybody else thinks you have a good one. See, the reality of where we're at is our cultural idols have so consumed us that we assume Jesus must want the same thing. Hmm. You see, church, we assume Jesus wants to be popular. We also assume Jesus wants to prove himself to you. How often have we followed in that same pattern where we're constantly trying to make Jesus prove himself just like his brothers? Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. Prove yourself. For they, his brothers, didn't even believe in him. You see that? Prove yourself. But there's a secret to those who try to make you prove yourself. They don't even believe in you. 
See, no matter what you do in love, it will never guarantee that people will believe in you. And if you are doing it to try to prove your love, then what will end up happening is you will constantly be trying to prove your love rather than walking in love. The reality is when people are constantly trying to get you to prove yourself or trying to get them to prove themselves, there's this deep-rooted desire for God to continue to prove himself. Now, I, I will tell you this. It doesn't matter to many of us what God did. What matters most to us is what has he done for me lately. God, I know you've done stuff. I know you've, 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 you've done stuff in the past, but right now, prove it to me. And we wonder why he keeps going, look at what I did. Look at what I, I've done. I know, that's the path. You know, Jesus, when his, when his people would come, do this, do this. He'd be like, I'm God, I've done this. Look at what I did for your forefathers. Look at what I did. They're like, no, I need it now. I've done it. I got nothing to prove. God is not trying to prove himself to you. And in that, what that carries over to is us trying to prove ourselves to others. In redemption, we have these culture statements. I think this is powerful culture statements because the reality of this is I think it goes against much of church culture in the West. Uh, uh, but this line we say often to each other, I have nothing to prove and no one to impress. I have nothing to prove and no one to impress. Church, I, I think what we end up happening, it, what ends up happening to ourselves is that we get in these places where we're constantly trying to prove ourselves. Love is not about proving yourself to people who don't believe in you. It's not what it's about. I'm going to tell you, it becomes overwhelming. I'll just try to put yourself in, in my shoes, but I will tell you this. I know many of you feel the same thing. When you're in a community or when you're in a family or when you're in places of need and in places of where there's, there's so much need. So many parties to go to. So many people to talk to. So many demands. Pastor, come here. Pastor, do this. Pastor, have this. Pastor, my need. I need this. I need this. My parties. And no matter how many parties you go to, no matter how many needs you have, no matter how many prayers you do, no matter how many demands you try to meet, prove it again. Prove it again. It doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter how I don't care what's going on in your life. You need to come. And there are many people who under the banner of Jesus' name and under the banner of trying to be good leaders and pastors or whatever it is, under that banner has fallen into this trap of trying to prove themselves and their love and their leadership continually to people who have never and will never believe in them. You see, this reality leads you to only one place. When you're trying to prove yourself, it leads you to one place. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't keep proving it. I, I can't keep showing. I can't do it. I can't meet all these needs. And, and, and I will tell you this. The harvest is ripe. There are so many needs and so many souls. There's so many people. There's so much to do. 
And if you fall into a pattern of trying to prove yourself, you will always fall off the cliff of realizing you can't do it. So what you have to see is as Jesus was doing miracles, they saw it as Jesus trying to prove himself. (laughs) He wasn't trying to prove himself. He knows who he is. He knows what he's come to do. He was revealing himself, not proving himself. There's a difference between revealing and proving. And even in Jesus' life, there was many times they would do more signs and wonders. He's like, you and it. Right in chapter 6, right before chapter 7, which one we're studying, he said, people are trying to, to get him to do more miracles. And he says, eat of my flesh, drink of my blood. And many people walked away. What is he talking about? Cannibalism? What is going on here? Once he called them into a loving covenant where they had to lay down their lives and join into fellowship with him, they walked away. He wasn't popular anymore. Because they were all about their needs, their demands. We also assume, if we assume that Jesus wants to be popular and he wants to prove himself, then we also think he has to move at a fast pace. Look at this. Therefore, Jesus told them, here's what he says back to them, my timing, my pace is different than your timing because my time has not yet fully come. Immediately, his answer to them is about timing. Because here's what ends up happening. When you're constantly trying to prove yourself and meet demands, you sh- constantly start getting at a fast pace. And, and uh, listen, because we want to be popular, because we want to prove ourselves, we boast in how busy we are. Hey, how's everything going? Oh, I'm busy, busy, busy. Yeah, okay. Okay, we get it. You're busy. I'm so busy. I'm so busy. I'm just overwhelmed. I just got so much going on. I'm caught up in the pace. Of proving, I'm caught up in the pace of popularity, of people pleasing. Now, I'm going to do something once again. This may not be your style, but I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to start playing a song. Then I want you to find the pocket and start clapping to the beat. Now, for some of you, this is going to be impossible because you have no clue what the pace or the pocket is, okay? But I, I will say for some of you, you're like, just get the jam going. So let me, let me, and turn it up so I can hear it, okay? Because I want you to see where the pace, go, 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 go. Where are we at? Where's my DJ at? Turn it up, turn it up, turn it up. I can't hear it. You can feel it. You can feel it already. Ah, hey, hey, hey. Okay, I see some of y'all are like, what? Keep it going. Ah, oh, hey, hey, oh. <laughs> oh. Ah. Ah. Come on. Ah. Hey, hey, oh, wait for it, it's going to drop, it's going to drop, ah, oh, 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 hey, oh, 
Life has brought. Okay, stop, stop, stop. All right. Now, some of y'all, you got me going. Now, I wasn't supposed to go that long. Don't get me started over here. Listen, listen, there's a TED Talk about a shirtless guy dancing. You should go watch it. And then all of a sudden, one guy starts following. Once one guy starts following, the whole crowd starts following, right? And the shirtless dancer goes from crazy to a leader. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I was just crazy up here until my brother and sister said, nah, I went from crazy to a leader real quick. The rest of y'all are just haters. That's it. Now, when you find the pocket, especially if you got the rhythm in you, you just get it, right? If you don't care what people think, you just get it, right? But if I do something else, if I say clap when my hands cross, try that. Ready? Y'all can't do it. Clap when I, good job. Okay, do it again. Now, do, see what I'm saying? See what I'm saying? See what I'm saying? See what I'm saying? Let's try it again. Ready? Y'all are bad at this. Really bad. Let's try it. Ready? See what I'm saying? See what I'm saying? See, when it, when it goes from finding the rhythm and the pocket, we can find it, settle into it, and just let go. But when it goes to following somebody, we wait till he starts getting, oh, I see what he's doing. I see the rhythm. I see the rhythm. And then you just take over from there. You see, the difference between finding the timing of the world is it's this predictable beat that you can just kind of settle into and just let go and do whatever you want. But when it comes to following the person of Jesus, it's about watching and listening and being connected to where he is. And he just changed the pocket up on you real quick. And it's not about settling into a beat and going, all right, I got the beat now, God, get away. I got this. Well, hey. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm dancing to do a whole nother beat now. You see, what ends up happening in this is Jesus begins to talk to them about timing. And he goes, look, the world has its own timing. An easy pocket you can just kind of dive into. But this different, this timing is not about just hitting into a comfortable rhythm. It's about discerning and knowing something. You see, he was about something more than just kind of hitting into comfortable rhythm or pocket. It was all about following the timing of his father. You see, love is not about busy activity. It's about pace and timing. A lot of people go, no, love is action. Love is a verb. Love is doing something. No. No, 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 no. Love is about pace. It's about timing. It's about moving at at the time when true love, your father, shows you to move. You see, because love is patient. Isn't it amazing that even in Corinthians, the first thing it puts is patient. Love is patient. And then it gives a bunch of other things, but this slowness of love seems to be highlighted. 
We want love to just be fast-paced, busy, do, 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 do. Let's jog, let's hit the pocket, let's go, let's go. Hey, hey, hey. He's going, no, it's patient. It waits. And we've heard love waits, but, but we've, 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 we've put it for one sector of waiting till marriage. And although that is true and we can't wait for anything, there's much more that it means. What is it waiting for? What is it waiting for? You see, Jesus stays. It says, look at this, Jesus stayed while they went. Jesus stayed in Galilee. And all of it is driving to this. And I want you to write this down. Meditate on this later. Last week, y'all were shouting for Wayne. I'm getting up insecure up here. You won't even dance for me. I don't know what, what I got to do up here. Just kidding. I know it's heavy. Love is not something that is defined and then demanded. It's something that is discerned and demonstrated. Here's the kind of love we have settled into in this world. We have asked people, what does love look like to you? And then we try to meet those demands. Not only have we done that in the world, but we've done that in our relationships. Here's what I mean by that. We've done that in our marriages. How many of us have settled into marriages where we're constantly trying to tell the other person how to love us, and they're trying to meet our demands of love? And that no matter how many times you keep doing what they ask you to do, they still want you to prove it now. Maybe that's none of you. Maybe none of you have fallen into a place where you're like, I've tried, and I've, I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried, but they're going, no, but you need to prove it again. And you wonder, how many times do I have to keep proving it? Or, how many times do they have to keep proving it to you? We've fallen into that kind of relationship with God. God, I'm going to define how you can love me, and then try to demand it from him. You see, we have fallen into the patterns and the timing of this world where we have given ourselves permission to define it like we know what it is and demand it like it's owed to us. But that's not love. Matter of fact, I, I will tell you this. If somebody randomly walks up to you, I'm just warning you all, and says, look, you're the one that I'm going to be with and demands you to marry them. That's called something else. That's not called love, right? We would never look at that kind of thing in this world and call it love. We wouldn't. Because love is something far deeper than that. And this is something, love is something that is discerned and then demonstrated. You see, Jesus was not just about meeting the demands of the crowd. He needed to discern the timing of his father so that he could demonstrate what true love. Who is love? God is love. The crowd doesn't define love. God defines love. So if I'm going to demonstrate love, i got to discern from love what love looks like. 
I've got to connect. I've got to be connected and in covenant with my Father. I've got to be close to him because I've got to know the timing and his pace. And then knowing this, they don't know what love looks like. Romans 5.8, God has demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John 3.16, for God so loved, it started with love, that he gave himself. He demonstrated through the giving of his son. Church, we didn't know love unless it was demonstrated to us. We couldn't define it. We couldn't demand it because we would be asking for the wrong things. It must be demonstrated to us. And this is why when we go into this Love Walked Among Us series, we have to begin to see that what we're really looking at here is the only way to know what true love is. The only way to know what true love is is to know Jesus. You're trying to find, give me the definition of love so that I can live up to it. You couldn't. Show me what love is. And here's what he said. No. The only way you're going to know love is that if it is revealed to you, if it's demonstrated to you in such a way that before when you see Jesus, that is the first time you saw love. You didn't even know. You saw it and you go, I thought I knew love. I, I thought I knew love, but greater, man, greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for a friend. You go, well, that's, that is great love, but Jesus didn't just lay down his life for a friend. He laid down his life for his enemies. Talk about the greatest kind of love we could even imagine is someone laying down their life for us. It's even greater than that. Church, when you look at a text like this, what we can end up doing is start going, man, there's so many people, I got, I got to know how to love, I got to know what to do, and, and help me define it, pastor, do this, or honey, tell me how to love you, or, or how do we meet the needs of all, of all this community, and listen, if you stand in these positions and you actually care for people around you, you will start to weep and care and have compassion for people around you so deeply, Jesus did, can you say amen to that? doesn't mean you're cold-hearted and you don't care. What it means is love is not something that crowds can demand, can be proved in popularity and fame. Love is. It is God. I want you to look at this. Why didn't he want to go? Why did he not want to go? It's because people were trying to kill him. It's because people hated him. They were saying, you want to be loved by the crowds? He's going, they want to kill me. You call it love, I call it hate, and kill him. Often the things we call love aren't love at all. They're not even love. They're hate.
as I was looking at this text, something uh, just overwhelmed me. I've heard so many people, including myself, say, Jesus came to die for us. Jesus came to die for us. If Jesus came to die for us, then why didn't he go? Because they would have killed him. He could have got it over with. When Satan says, hey, look at, look at this whole world. I'll give it all to you. Just bow down to me. He could have got it an easier way. There was other times where mobs were rising up trying to plan to kill Jesus. Why didn't he just go along with it and build it up so he could have died at that moment? It wasn't just about him dying. Here's, here's what I, I want us to see. There's something that theologians call a reverence for life. That Jesus was not basically an insecure person who didn't see his own value. Who just goes, listen, I'm trash, I'll die for everybody, who cares? Jesus knew his life was so valuable that it wasn't that he wanted to die. Matter of fact, he prays to his father, if there's any other way, take this from me. This was not about him seeing himself as trash. He saw that this was the greatest, most valuable gift. There's nothing more valuable than his life that he could give for us. And the only way it would be love was not for someone to come and steal his life. Love does not get stolen by those who hate you. Love is something you give as a gift for those you love. Because you see how valuable it truly is. And if he would have gone there, the gospel would have been changed. It would have been that his enemies defeated him. But he had to die by giving his life. No one killed Jesus. No one killed him. He laid down his life as a living sacrifice, knowing it was the most value. Nothing in this world could ever pay for what the cost of his life is. There's nothing more valuable than the life of Jesus. He shows us what love is by saying, I am treasured and valued. I am God. I am the, I'm one with my Father. I am love. And he humbles himself all the way to the point of death. There's no greater love. No greater love. No one killed him. His life wasn't stolen. He laid it down for you. Church, what we have to see is that this is the greatest gift of love. He wasn't saying he wasn't going to die. He was saying it wasn't time yet. But when I lay my life down, Church, as we meditate on this text together, I want us to see how important it is as we come to the communion table to think about these things. To think about this reality that you would not know love. I 
would not know love unless God showed Jesus to you. I wouldn't know it. I wouldn't know love without knowing Jesus. And the beauty of the gospel is that God took this blind, crowd-pleasing, self-righteous, pharisaical, demanding stuff from God person. He said, you think that's all love? You want all of that? And instead of giving me what I wanted, <laughs> see, that's, that's a curse. The curse is when God just turns us over to our wants. The gift is when he shows us that what we want is not the true and greatest love of all. And he opens our eyes to the reality of what we sh truly should want, that we didn't even know love before we knew Jesus. And he shows us on the cross that he laid down his life for us and that even in our sin and brokenness and selfishness and, and our desire to, to, to please ourselves and do what we want and become famous and we're just bringing and laying this all on him, he shows us what he laid upon himself, the sins of the whole world, and he paid the price for our sins so that we could have him. Because here's the only response to love. God doesn't demand your love. He shows you his love and calls you to respond the same way. He shows you. He opens his eyes. He opens your eyes to the reality of true love. And then he says, just as I've laid down my life for you, you lay down your life for me. It's called the, the great exchange. It's this, we get his life, he gets our life. I, I want you to think of just this parable. I'm trying to figure out how do I illustrate this. You remember when Jesus is standing at the offering box, people are dropping off loads of cash, and there's one woman who gives just one mite. And, and Jesus says, she gave more than everybody else. Not in amount of finances, but he said she gave it all, they gave their leftovers. The sacrifice that Jesus gave for us was not his leftovers. It was his, it was his everything. It was his all. And when we see that, there's only one right response, and that is he loves me and I'm in love with him. It moves from just he loves me to we're in love. What does it mean to be in love? It means he fully gives himself to me and I fully give myself to him and we're in love. We're not trying to, he's not trying to prove himself to me. I'm not trying to prove myself to him. I'm fully right before him. He has changed me and, and, and there's this reality of I'm, I, 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 where else am I going to go? You're all I have. You're, you're all that I need. There's this love, this deep covenantal love. And when I am in love, when, he, when I see what love is, and now I have fully laid down my life and I'm in love with him, I can now for the first time show others and demonstrate to others what love looks like. The reason why we're struggling to show the world what love looks like is because we have to be in love to show love. 
because everything about us wants to go, how do I meet their needs? How do I meet the demands? There's so much need out there. And he's going, listen, come to me. I'll show you what love is. I'll show you. It may be a different pace. It may be a different rhythm. It may be a different, but I'm going to tell you. They're going to see our good works, and they're going to glorify him. True love is demonstrated at this table as you come and you lay down yourself and you partake of how he laid himself down for you and you begin to think of this covenant and this relationship and you fellowship with him in the secret and he begins to reveal to you things. He begins to show you your heart. He begins to speak to you things and you move into this following relationship. Church, if we're going to know love, we got to know Jesus. And if we know Jesus, we're going to be in love with Jesus. And if we're in love with Jesus, love is going to flow out of us. So as we come to the table, to fellowship with Jesus, I pray that you're overwhelmed, overwhelmed by how much he loves you. I pray that it all your proving and striving and pursuits of fame, everything, that it would all be laid down and that all you would want is him. And as he pours himself into you, you would say, God, once again, I give my whole life to you. All that I am, all that I have. And he begins to show you, reveal to you how to love others, how to walk in love, to follow him. So this time is a time of prayer. It's a time of communion with the lover of your heart, the the one who knows you and loves you. Listen to him. If you need someone to pray with you, we'll be over there to pray. The tables are open, and then we're going to just go into a time of worshiping and adoration and singing to the one that we love. Let's spend these last minutes just worshiping the lover of our soul. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.